Pulp MX Network production. Welcome to the Pulp Hockey Show with Ray Ferraro and Steve Mathis. Support the show by clicking the Amazon banner on PulpHockey.com before shopping. Follow the show on Twitter at Pulp Hockey. Subscribe on iTunes and find us on Stitcher or your favorite podcast app. Welcome, everybody, to the Pulp Hockey Podcast with Ray Ferraro. Thanks for listening. Get it on iTunes. Get it on Stitcher. Get it on pulphockey.com, of course, and uh, download it, review it, tell your friends. Go ahead. Take a listen. Thanks for thanks for joining us along this road. Appreciate it. Uh, again, number two, UNDR, the best men's underwear out there. Ferraro20 is the code to uh, save yourself money at twounder.com. And, uh, and we have the man on the line right now, a veteran of over 1,200 games, 400 goals, a former Hartford Whaler, Ray Ferraro. What's up, Ray? I am. Uh, let's let's okay. hey, let's let's get into this right away. Um, okay. You're in Toronto, calling the game yeah. tonight, Toronto Islanders. Um, your schedule. Apparently so. <laughs> Tell everybody your schedule right now. Well, so what I about a year ago, what I decided to do is instead of flying in the day before a game um, and basically wasting a whole day of tra- you know, mm-hmm. with travel because of the time change, and to get in and. Yeah, you get a great, you know, have a nice dinner, and but a lot of times, I, you know, if you don't hook up with somebody, um, you know, like if you don't have somebody on the other team that you know or somebody in in the city that I know, I'm kind of eating dinner by myself. I'm like, well, why am I doing that? I could be at home with my family, and so I started taking the red eye in. Mm-hmm. Well, I kind of like it actually. The problem is it leaves at ten fifteen at night, and like the red eye, you mm-hmm. know, you travel, you take them, you get in at five in the morning. So when I take the red eye, most of the time I I stay out by the airport. Mm-hmm. So like I literally land at Pearson Airport at five o'clock, and I'm in bed at five twenty-five. <laughs> After like they, they come around, you know, say, "Can I get you anything on the flight?" I'm like, "You know what? I'm going to sleep." So I put in my yeah. earplugs, and I sleep like literally from the second that you're allowed to put your seat back. Yep, which is. Like when the front yeah. wheel when the, when the comes thing, like one exactly, inch off, right. one inch off the ground, I'm out. And you're and, and you're good on flying. You you sleep all the way through. Like that's I I rarely don't. Oh wow! And okay. um, that might have something to do with the fact that I cooked burgers for seven hours at a at my son Riley's soccer tournament yesterday. So like we were racing stuff around. Man, it was a busy day. So I slept yeah. till right till we land. I get up stumble through the airport, get to the hotel, right back out for another three or four hours, and then you know, do this show, do my radio hits, do prep for the game, and hopefully remember what team's playing by the time I get to the rink. I... Because that has happened, where I've literally <laughs> walked in and see somebody from the other team and go, oh, right, right, right. Yeah. Like somehow I've lost... Oh, the the wild brain. tonight. Yeah, yeah, Minnesota Wild. All right, got it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it, it, honestly, it happens. Um, like you, I cannot. It's kind of crazy. I can't do red eyes. I travel, you know, forty weeks a year. Uh, I, you know, I just went to Dallas last weekend for the race, um, and you know, first thing in the morning. And you're right, though. You get you. I landed in Dallas at four, and luckily I met a friend for dinner. But generally, it's it's a hotel, restaurant, or, or, or order in, and you sit there and you're kind of. But I can't. I I feel like garbage on red eyes, Ray. I just. Oh, I don't. It's not. Hey, look. It's not like I feel like a million bucks here. You <laughs> let's know, like, get that let's straight. Let's be right, honest. Right. Um, but I do. Um, you know, I like to work out and stuff. So I I fit in forty five minutes for for a workout because if I don't, I feel like a upside down oh. bag of potatoes. Like you just feel awful. Maybe I should squeeze I, in a workout. So I got to tell you, there are a few times if the game kind of sucks mm-hmm. in the third period, I'm. I, I'm kind of I'm working at staying awake. I'm like, you know what? I can do this. I know I can do it. Seven minutes. No more icing, guys. Come on, help me out. Help me out. Right. I don't tell them that, but I'm tell, yeah. having my own little game. Right. So maybe you're telling me I should squeeze in a workout. 
I mean, I could use one. Let's no, face not it. just one. Not one. <laughs> yeah. Eleven. Okay. Right. Every every time I can. Um, yeah, I just. And, I, but see, the difference. Yeah. The difference is okay. So you don't. Maybe you would do it, or maybe more people do it um, if they have kids. You know, like I I watch both my kids play soccer. They uh-huh. had seven games yesterday. You know, thirty-five minute games in a tournament. But I watch. One of them play four games. One of them play three games. If I would have been on the flight, I would have missed that, and that sucks. Yeah, so I, yeah. I get I get a kick out of watching them play. Right. Yeah. No. No kids on my end. Right. And uh, yeah. So not just uh, a wife who doesn't mind when I leave, but um, she probably likes it. Yeah, she... It's funny, Cam. And this is another thing. Cammy often will like she'll call mm-hmm. at seven thirty. Like the puck is just dropped <laughs> on the ice. <laughs> And I'm like, I wonder where she thinks I am. Because right. like, I think what right. happens is I'm either in the house or I'm somewhere else. Yeah. Right? Like, right, right, right. And it doesn't, she doesn't really care which game I'm doing. Yep. You're just, you're not here. So, yeah. the, so she'll call and I'll say, I've told her before, if you turn on the TV and you hear me, <laughs> I cannot answer the phone. Does, now, Cammie Granato, of course, you're married to her, a legendary ho- women's hockey player uh, in the Hall of Fame. Um are you, my, 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 I do all these motocross shows, and, and uh, I write all this stuff. My wife does not care about anything I do for work. Is Cammie like that? Uh, I wouldn't say she's, she doesn't care at all. She just doesn't have the time to follow it like yeah. she used to, but she's well aware of, you know, like she'll see a play on, on the highlights or something, and we'll, she'll say, oh, it's, uh, how's that team doing, or how's this? Oh, okay. So I give her an update. And then she's, I mean, she... She likes skilled players, so the, her favorite guys are like, you know, or Patrick Kane, somebody like that. That would be like yeah. her favorite guy. She's entertained by McDavid, um, you know, like just how fast he goes, but she can't follow it day to day. But as far as my opinion, she actually yeah. she disagrees with with them quite frequently <laughs> on many levels, really. My, my, my. Well, we've been married since 2004, so yeah. <laughs> Everybody that's married knows how that goes. You're like, some days you come up with a lot of brilliant stuff. Some days you're just, you're a donkey. Yeah, she and my wife, is, she's just like, are you, is, uh, what, what are you doing? I'm like, I'm doing this show. I'm doing that. She's like, yeah, whatever. Just whatever. Um, yeah. Um, all right. So, hey, last week uh, uh, you did the rounds with the Dallas Stars. Um, they lost 3-1 to one to the Leafs. They lost 3-2 to the Sens. You called both games for TSN, of course. Um so the good news for the Stars is they did not give up a bunch of goals. Bad news, they lost both games. Um, what's your take on Dallas after seeing them two games and uh, and, and seeing them inside and out? Um, what's your thoughts on Dallas Stars? Oh well, I guess a couple really. Um, one is I think they've been among the season's biggest disappointments. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, lots of people had high hopes for them, but I think those hopes were maybe a little bit misplaced. You know, in the off season. Um, they they did not um they didn't want to move on a long deal for Goligoski, Alex Goligoski, so they traded him to Arizona for a draft pick and then Arizona signed him to a five year deal right away. Mm-hmm. And they didn't want to do the same thing with Jason Demers. So Demers ended up signing as a free agent in Florida. So they became a really, really young defense. And when you have a really young defense and your leader of your defense is twenty four years old, John Klingberg, mm-hmm you're going to have some really rough nights. And so what, in my opinion, what's happened is, um, you know, they had to rely on people that weren't ready to be relied upon, and that's really hurt them uh, on the blue line. Klingberg shot out of the cannon last year. He had 58 points. Now everybody knows about him. They play him more physically. They get tighter to him. And he said he's really missed Goligoski, and he tried to do too much early. Mm -hmm. And then he wasn't playing very well, so he tried to do less, and that worked even worse. So it's kind of been, an, like a lot of second-year players, they've had a real step back. Up front, um, you know, Nechuskin went back to, to Russia. Yep. Janmark and Hemsky had hip surgeries right in the first week of, of camp, and they were gone for the year. And so you, uh, Sagan and Ben were hurt. Uh, Sagan at, uh, at camp for the World Cup. Ben didn't make it to the World Cup. Mm-hmm. So they were a mess health-wise up front. And then, of course, you've got two guys that play dodgeball in goal. Their, their goaltending has been the league's worst goaltending. Uh, it, it was a plan two years ago that just didn't work, bringing in Antti Niemi to play with Kari Lettinen. It hasn't worked, and they're going to have to do something about it in the offseason, probably buy somebody out uh, and try and bring in another 
uh, another goalie. So all those things go into the slop, and you have a team that's up and down. And they they can't score to overcome their goaltending. And then when they on the rare occasions they get good goaltending, they've which they did in that trouble playing. They did in that. Those two, two games that you called, I thought I watched uh, all the Leaf game and a yep. little bit of sense. I thought uh, they played pretty well. Niemi. They played. Yep. They they're not. It's not a disaster. But then the next game they go into Nashville, um, and they or you know they win at home. Then they go into mm-hmm. Nashville, and they're up three two, and boom boom boom, they give up three goals and they lose. So it's to me, it's a year that's gotten away from them. I don't think it's retrievable. Um, they won't make the playoffs, and uh, I don't believe they'll start to move pieces. Uh, maybe Patrick Eves, who has a 20-goal season now, uh, Patrick Sharp, those will be the types of guys they mm-hmm. move uh, at the deadline for assets. And then the other interesting question will be what they do with, with behind the bench. Lindy Ruff's at the end of a four-year deal, and they probably look around and see what's happened with mm-hmm. some other teams, but also say maybe it's time to – um, you know, to make a move. Yeah. Um, Lindy Ruff was was hired four years ago, and you know, sometimes it's you know maybe you just need a change. I, you know, Lindy's coached for 19 years, yeah. and he's he's a really good coach. I mean, that's not the point. The point is, it might be just time to, with some other really good candidates out there, that uh, they might make a move. Jason Spezza, uh, what's what's he at in his career? You track these him pretty closely of course uh, a yeah. former Ottawa senator like he, he can't really be a checking guy he's not a number one guy on that team so where's Spez at in his career right now well he he is a number two center mm-hmm. at this point so they're playing Cody Eakin in the middle of Jamie Ben and Tyler Sagan right now mm-hmm. as their top line Eakin's got one goal <laughs> so when you say Spezza can't be a number one center well he's well, better I, number yeah. one center than one goal. No, I mean, right? like yeah, they, I just meant they don't play him number one. Like he's never, he doesn't get. No, they don't. Yeah, Steve, they don't yeah. at all. And, um, but I would say if if you see, there's something doesn't look right to, with Sagan to me. Mm-hmm. I didn't think he skated very well um, in the two games I I've watched. Um, uh, you know, I watched last week. You yeah. know, I I have this. I have this image of him flying through the neutral zone. Well, he got clobbered last year, um, and it got a concussion in the neutral zone, coming through the middle of the ice. And he really hasn't done that very much since. Now, I don't know if that's the case or if the fact that he's had three leg injuries in the last, oh, not even a year, mm-hmm. has caught up to him a bit, and he needs a summer off to get healthy again. Like, that very easily could be it. But Sagan, to me, has to play in the middle of the ice. So if you have Sagan and you have Spezza and you have Eakin as your third center mm-hmm. and you have Radek Faxa as well, who, by the way, is a terrific player, they're as good as they need to be in the middle of the ice. But right now, they're not. Uh, they don't have Spezza. He's hurt right now. Um, and Sagan, as I said, is just, you know, it, even though he's got lots of points, it's, yeah. it's not the same. Yeah, do they – I mean, at some point, Spezza must have been tried in the middle of the big guys – and just didn't have chemistry, didn't work out, well, I, I would I, guess. I assume he's played a little bit. You know, I mean, yeah. I don't chart their lines, right. you know, day after day after day. But I, I know that there's a thought that it just it hasn't worked. And maybe it could be that, you know, they're worried about them defensively. But, mm-hmm. you know, I, I, I don't know. You're paying, you're paying them seven million bucks. And um, right now they're playing them on the wing. Uh, when he's healthy, and I'm, mm-hmm. you know, for the most part, and I'm like, look, he might not be the greatest skater, but Spets is smart. He's an excellent passer. Right. Um, you know, I've never coached in the NHL, but I'd have him in the middle. Uh, the new coaches, Bruce Cassidy, who I forgot, Ray, coached the Capitals way back when. I forgot about oh, he was that. About stint. eleven. Yeah, about eleven when George McPhee hired him. I think <laughs> I forgot. I, I just when I read the uh, his career coming in when he replaced Claude Julian, who we talked about last week, um, I forgot that. Yeah, so Bruce Cassidy, Doug Waite, Mike Yo, um, they've all given their teams the, the new coach bump that seems to happen. I don't know, right? Eighty percent of the time when you change coaches, oh, it's crazy. Yep. Right. Um, and you've been a player with a new coach. Like, what happens? You guys just everybody's enthused. Everyone's excited. Everyone wants to make a mark. I guess. Well, yeah, that's it's I mean, all of that, but it's also that you um, you don't know where you stand with the new guy anymore. Okay. So everybody's yep. a little a little uneasy, a little nervous. You, you maybe your your comfort zone has been pulled away, mm-hmm. and I think I think that has a lot to do with it. 
there's also some some changes that that the that the coaches make, the new yeah. coaches make, you sure. know, for, and there, and there's some in each of them, uh, for, for Mike Yo, one of the things that he did was he put Paul Stastny and Vladimir Tarasenko together. Now they've never played together much under Ken Hitchcock. He didn't see them as a fit. Yo obviously did. And mm-hmm. until Stastny got hurt, I mean, it's only been a few games total since Yo's been in charge, but he had them together. And, and they made an impact. Now, Yo's also had the benefit of the best of Jake Allen this season. Um, yeah, you know, right. Second yep. star of the week in the NHL after, you know, just kind of losing his way totally um, under Hitchcock. Um, I would say in in St. Louis, the third thing is that they they probably feel um, a, a little more free. Uh, Hitch can be a real demanding guy. He's been there a long time, and Yo. Is a different person, a different. He's just a different guy. A different. Mm-hmm. Um, the terminology of, that he uses in the locker room for the same things is going to be a little different, and for the players, it becomes something new again. And so, I think that's all contributed in St. Louis, in Boston with Bruce Cassidy. You know, he got hired as the um, assistant coach this this past September, um, so he knows the players a little bit better than a guy coming in from the outside, much like Doug Waite, and then I guess for that matter, Mike Yo as mm-hmm. well. Uh, they were all behind their their respective benches yeah. as assistant coaches, but. Cassidy coached a lot of these younger players in Providence, where he's been the head guy for a number of years there. So he knows them. He knows what to expect. Those young guys um, know Cassidy, so that helps. Um, he moved David Backus onto the right side with um, uh, with Patrice Bergeron. Uh, Backus has had a not a very good year in his first year in Boston. David Krejci is uh, benefiting from Frank Vitrano being back in the lineup. But the Bruins play, I would say, a little more up-tempo style, um, have their D into the rush more Mm -hmm. um, than they did under Julian. That's just a a little bit of a stylistic change, and and Cassidy's probably more open to have that happen. It seems like he's pushed their defense up into the play, and they've scored some goals, and they, too, got... Um, they got, lo and behold, a win from their backup goalie. Yeah, finally. Um, yeah. Anton Hudobin <laughs> got a win the other yeah. day. I mean, it was like, I think that's the first one this year for for a backup goalie in Boston. Like, how crazy is that? You're into the middle of February yeah. and um, and you don't have a win from anybody else. So that's in that's in Boston. And then in, in New York, I'd say the, the biggest change is Doug Waits prodded those guys. He's got a phrase that I really like. He wants them to play faster in the offensive or in the defensive zone than they do in the offensive zone. And I, I think that gets lost a little bit. Mm-hmm. What he means is when they don't have the puck, he wants them to pressure, to be up on the puck, to force guys to, to make a play because they'll probably turn it over. More often than not, if you're forced, you're going to make a bad decision than a great decision. Not many players can right. make great decisions under under lots of pressure. So when you get the puck back, now you can control it and you can look for your play in the offensive zone. That's been a big change for them. They've been they're seven zero and two at home. They don't have a very good road record. So uh, tonight will be um, you know Tuesday night in Toronto will be a, a real good test for them against the Leaf team that's. Kind of stumbling around a little bit right now. A little too. bit. 6-5 last week they met. Uh, Leafs blew a late lead. Oh, I hope it's that again. <laughs> you know me, Steve. Uh, I goals, goals, goals. I'm with you. Um, so which team do you – which team is this for real? Waits the longest uh, – uh, the most evidence that, that this is a change has been positive. But out of those teams, do you like one change to, to take effect permanently? Or do you – do you think they you know, all come I back? Don't, I don't know. I, I see. I like them for different reasons. I think St. Louis is a is a really good team that's in transition uh, to younger players right now, and I think Yo will do a really good job. So I think it is sustainable there. They also have um, of the three teams, they have the best defenseman in Alex Petrangelo, mm-hmm. and Petrangelo can can really impact a game. Now, I believe St. Louis is going to the better they play the heat's going to get turned up hotter and hotter on Doug Armstrong with what to do with Kevin Shattenkirk at the deadline. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I think it's a mistake to let Shattenkirk get past the deadline with no assets back because I don't think St. Louis is ready to be a Stanley Cup contender this year. Now, teams can get hot, yeah. and you can run yourself through, and, and that's a decision they're going to have to make. 
But I think St. Louis is a is a pretty good team, and I think they can afford to move Shattenkirk and elevate Colton Pareko's minutes. So they would have Petrangelo and Pareko as their top two right-handed defensemen. Bortuzzo can be their third right-handed defenseman, mm-hmm. and I think they'd be okay. But you also bring back assets for Shattenkirk. Can you get so, oh, can you get real oh, assets so, from Shattenkirk with an expiring contract? I mean, can you really get oh, it something? Depends. Yeah, it it depends. Um, uh, if you're Montreal, are you really content with your team right now? Yeah. Probably not. No. You know, you might you might be able to wedge out somebody that they wouldn't normally um, be interested in, or you might be able to work um, some version of a sign and trade with a team where you get them signed to a contract and trade them right away. So the Blues wouldn't be willing to commit to a seven-year contract to Shattenkirk, but they could sign him with the, an agreement to another team, the second we have this contract approved by the league, mm-hmm. we trade them to you. And these are, and you already have worked out the trade. Right, yeah, like, everything else That to me seems, that's the, that would be the gold standard for St. Louis. Like, they would get the most back because the team that you would be trading them to would be willing to make that move for you. Like, they'd be willing yeah. to give you right. a, a better forward which is probably what they're looking for, um, because they'd, they'd have Shattenkirk signed. He did say he'd so, be willing to play in Toronto. Shattenkirk did say. But that, that's fine. He can be willing to play there, Steve. I know you're a Leafs fan, but it makes no sense. <laughs> I know. It really doesn't. No, you're right. You're right. It makes no sense because they're going to pay him. You know, He's going to yeah. get over $6 million easy. Yeah. And, and the Leafs have a couple of guys you might be aware of that are going to be a contract they, headache in two years. Right. Yes, and you've got to have you've got to have cap room for them. Yeah, for Matthews, Marner, Nylander, you're, all of them. You're, you know, you're going to have to have you're going to have to have plenty of room built in, and Shattenkirk would just chew up too much of that. So that's the Blues. Um, the Bruins I, are an interesting team. They're transitioning um, as well to a younger team. They have a whole bunch of prospects just beyond the NHL. Mm-hmm. They're either in college um, or they're in. Um, uh, in the American League, and they're about ready to push onto the lineup. So, if Cassidy is the guy, then he's going to benefit from these younger guys transitioning forward. So, I think Boston is is in a little bit of a soft spot. I, I think management's a little a little bit off base, and they think that they're a contender right now. I don't think yeah. they are. Yeah. But I think they've got some really good players that are going to come and help them be a really good team in the near future. And then that gets us to the Islanders, and you know they straightened out their goaltending by demoting Yaroslav Halak. And I don't mean that that Halak can't play. I mean they had three goalies for a year and a half. Yeah, I do like the um, following uh, Halak's agent on Twitter, Alan Walsh. I, oh, I love you the, He's I, a, I love Alan, the uh, <laughs> Alan's an interesting dude. I love the updates on how Halak's on fire in the AHL. Thank you, thank you for those updates. Oh, but there is. I will tell you this. Lots of people don't like Alan because he uh-huh. is. Uh, this is Alan Walsh right. because he's in your face um, with his opinions. Right. I don't know anybody that's a better public advocate <laughs> for their players. Yeah. Now, he a few years ago. Well, God, geez, it's a, quite a number of years ago now. He got into a, a public. I'll call it a performance supporting Halak against Carey Price. And the only thing that that did was drive a wedge in in between management and the player and the agent. And he's backed off from that. But I don't have a problem. He's like, you know, hey, here, Jason Chimera got a goal yeah. in his thousandth game. Here's the goal. Here's an awesome play by player action. Drew-run. I don't have a problem Drew-run. with yeah, that Yeah, Druin's his guy, right, with the whole yeah. uh, holdout. You know, I don't, have a, I don't have a problem with that at all. And here's the thing. If you're in the American League um, – you better have somebody advocating for you because there is, I'm telling you, there's 100 players that can play in the NHL that mm-hmm. are in the American League. And if it's not for the organization they're in or the stage of their contract or a break, they're in the American League. And you need somebody pushing for you. I mean, if Halak didn't have another year on his contract, he would be in the NHL now or by the deadline. Right. That, that next year is going to be a problematic. Okay, so back to the Isles. So they straightened out their goalie, goaltending yeah, a little bit. Yeah. Um, they they play a more aggressive uh, game, I think, defensively. So that's cleaned up a little bit of the mess they have. They have they got almost no production 
from their two big free agent signings, Andrew Ladd and Jason Chimera, in the first part of the season. Like, almost nothing. You know, and they were trying to replace Kyle Oposo, and, of course, that, that didn't happen. Yep. Uh, Ryan Strom just fell off the map. And, you know, he signed a two-year extension in, in the preseason for $2.5 million per year. The coaching change might have something to do with it, but Strom seems to be unburdened a little bit. Sometimes a coach has already written the book on you, and yeah. you can't change it. For better or worse, you can't change it. So a new coach gives him a new opportunity. Now he's playing on a second line. He's on the power play, scored a power play goal the other night. So there's Strom, there's Brock Nelson. Uh, Anders Lee has uh, uh, 20 goals since the middle of November. Only Pacioretty has, has more. Um, you know, he's refound his touch. Um, Josh Bailey's a first-rounder that kind of lost his way. Uh, now Lee and Bailey play on either side of Tavares. They've got, they're a young team still. Um, I think they're a team that, that can grow really quick. And back to Ladd, really, uh, to touch on this. Last mm-hmm. year, he had four goals in his first 22 games with Winnipeg, and he scored 25. This year, he had two goals in his first 22 games. And now he's up to 12. Like, I could see a, a way that Ladd gets to 20 goals. Which is probably yeah, which is pretty amazing, is. right? It would be amazing if he got to twenty for sure, right? But, but yeah, but he's that's probably what he is. Yep. If they're expecting thirty goals, well, then they've overshot the moon here. Um, twenty goals is probably where he's going to be at, and now we'll we'll see if you know if they get the type of consistent production they're getting right now because uh, from some of these other guys because they have an absolute superstar in the middle of their team. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I mean, Tavares is just, he's a, he's a joy to watch play. Um, you know, I mean, he, he puts that team on his back most nights and uh, I, I think is, is as underrated a superstar as there is. I think you got to be careful. This is just my opinion, guy on the couch. But guys like Bacchus and guys like Andrew Ladd, they play such a hard, heavy game for many, many, many years. And, it, you know, not so much in Bacchus, but Ladd playoff year after playoff year. Um, it, I just think when it goes, it goes for those guys. Do you know what I mean? Like they're, well, I'm, I'm with you, but yeah. they're already signed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like I, yeah. I think you know, Bacchus's contract's going to be a couple of years too long. Lads mm-hmm. is going to be the same. Yeah, yeah. And it's for it's it's got nothing to do with their effort. Yeah, it's got nothing to do with their talent. Eventually, the engine just can't push them fast enough. Right. Because I think I, yeah. I don't see any way that doesn't happen to both of them. Because I think they make the most out of their talent, right? Like they don't have. The Datsuk or Kane talent or whatever, but they make the right. most of it, and then so just a little slippage happens, and and, and when they get older, well, know, what so. and and the the problem is then what makes them really effective their physical play, they can't do it. Mm-hmm. They you know they can't they can't be as physical as they'd like to be, so they can't they. It's like you take part of your toolbox and throw it in the garbage dump because you can't use it anymore. Yep. Then they don't handle the puck well enough. They can't. You know they can't get up and down the ice with the with the quickest of guys, and so you you become a diminished player. And both teams have those guys signed long, long term. Lad signed for seven years, Backus for five. All right, moving on from that, Gustav Nyquist uh, and Jared Spurgeon. Uh, Nyquist, uh, I don't know what he was thinking. He just, nothing. <laughs> he's waived his appearance. Like he's not even going to go to the NHL. He's going to get at least a six gamer. And they said, hey, anything over five, like, come on in and, and plead your case. He just said, nah, I'm good. <laughs> just Well, <laughs> to me, what it is is you've just robbed a bank. They have you on <laughs> video camera, and you're saying, I didn't do it. <laughs> yeah, like, there's yeah, nothing right. you can say, right? There's nothing you can no, say. No, that was ugly. So, now, I've, I got to know Nyquist some time ago when, when my son Landon was in uh, Detroit system. He was in Grand Rapids together. Mm-hmm. And I've known him through the, you know, the last few years. He's a really nice guy. He's not a violent guy at all. Not an unpredictable player. He's not a dirty player. Mm-hmm. None of that matters because he stuck Jared Spurgeon in the face. Yeah. Now, I understand he doesn't have previous history, and so that, I guess, is in his favor. Yeah. And he was cheesed but, off a little bit over the cross-check. Sure, but but that again, that doesn't matter. That's like <laughs> you step on my toe getting off a plane, and I punch you in the face. <laughs> right, right, right. It does. Exactly. It does. It doesn't equate. No. So no. he's saying he's trying to get body position by getting his stick over Spurgeon 
you know, to wedge him out. Spurgeon's 5'7". He's the shortest, one of the shortest guys in the league. Like, even that doesn't hold water. <laughs> right, right. Now, you can try and defend this up and down. I yeah. think it's an absolute joke if he doesn't get 10 games. He speared him right in the face. Yeah, yeah. Like, there's, there's not even... I can't even come up with, oh, this could have happened. Because I look at a player that's had a really difficult year. He's not had a good year. He, was, he got cross-checked a couple times. Yes, it should have been a penalty. He was clearly frustrated. <laughs> and you asked what he was thinking, and the answer was nothing. For a couple of seconds, nothing went through Nothing happened. Yeah. That was And ugly. unfortunately, you have to pay the piper. You have to pay the piper. So do you think it'll be 10? I like, think it'll be 8. Oh, and so you're going to be like, you're going to, you're going to be upset at this when it gets eight. Well, I just, I think it's, I think it's crazy. See, because Steve, my opinion always has been to suspend players more, not less. Mm-hmm. Like there was a time when, and Gord Miller uses this um, example a lot whenever we discuss discipline and talk to other people about it. There was a time that people used to have four or five beers and then get in their car and drive home. And remember, there was a time when we all used to say, you know, 40 years ago when we were just starting to drive, or 35 years ago, oh, I'm fine when I'm like that. Well, the penalties became so severe, and education became much more prevalent, that people went, well, that's just stupid. I'm not going to do that anymore. It's dangerous. And I'm not going to lose my license for two years. Right. So now you get in an Uber, you get in a cab, or you, if you're close enough, you walk. Because anything else would be really stupid. The NHL players, you know, I mean, this maybe is a little bit of an extreme example, but the NHL players, they, if, if they give Gustav Nyquist four games for this, well, what's the detriment? Mm-hmm. Like, you, you penalize harshly, you take money away from these guys, you take away their ability to play in a season – where you have a very limited career, and I think it matters. And sure. I, I'm convinced the league misses on this. Yeah, I've given up trying to figure out what, you know, what is suspendable, what's not, and how many games. I, I, I really, but I love the fact they have ex players in there. Kint- Stefan Cantel is now the head of it. You know, took over Brendan Shanahan. Uh, Chris Pronger's in there. Chris King is in there, right? Chris King, yeah. Um, I like yeah, that's that's fine. But yeah. all, you know, what would be nice. How about have a finesse player in there? Yeah, they don't, they don't really, do they? No, None right, of those guys. Right. And Brendan Shanahan was in charge before. Right. Every one of those guys sees the game one way. Yeah. How about somebody that sees it a different way? Yeah, Pronger probably thinks that's fine. <laughs> Pronger's like, well, it, there was a time when, you know, at six foot six and with a, I don't know, however long his stick was, that. That was a that was a vicious circle when you went in there. <laughs> right, right. Pronger was the Pronger reach circle was not a comfortable place to be. No. Um, moving on. Uh, speaking, still sticking with the Red Wings. Uh, Mike Illich, the owner, passes away after a little bit of a little bit of an illness. And if you're under thirty, Ray, you just think the Red Wings were always good and always a powerhouse. And you know from playing them early on in your career, and I know from being over forty. There was a time that they were terrible. Uh, Jacques Demare kind of started the turnaround, but it really started with Mike Illich uh, buying the team and apparently saying to, to his people around him, Jimmy Devolano, who was a GM, Mike Illich saying around, uh, sitting around saying, what do you guys need, a private plane, this or that? You got it all, strength coach, strength, new equipment. And Mike Illich buys the team, and we've just seen this uh, this excellence from the Detroit Red Wings over the years, and, uh, and he'll be missed, a, a great owner by all accounts. But but not just that, you know. Like what's really interesting is these tributes that have um, that have poured in since Mr. Illich passed away. And yes, it's about basically saving an original six franchise from itself because they were just a mess. They he bought it for just a few million dollars plus taking on five million dollars in debt back in whatever year that was mm-hmm. that that uh, that he bought the Red Wings. Um, when he um, uh, when he took over, there was nobody in the stands. He was giving away a car per home game to get people into the stands. 
Like they they had to market this team again. Well, he came from a marketing place. He and his wife, um, of course, if you don't know, started uh, Little Caesars Pizza at a time when pizza places were just a fad. Only teenagers were were eating the stuff. And he said he he was playing minor league baseball, and he's like, you know, we're going to put a pizza restaurant in every every city in the U.S. And everyone's like, ah, oh, you're crazy. Well, apparently not. You know, him yeah. and his wife were married over 60 years. They were this this dynamic team. Um, so they they hired people to run the Red Wings, and while they were involved, and they were, they let those people do their job. And so there was a trust built between the owner and the general manager. And then they bought the Detroit uh, Tigers, and it was all about giving, as you said, giving the managers, Dave Dombrowski at the time, mm-hmm. everything you need to win. Now, it doesn't always work, but they gave them every opportunity to win. And one thing I've noticed in all the years I've gone around, um, you know, as a player and a broadcaster, mm-hmm. nobody ever says Mike Illich. They call him in Detroit, he's Mr. I. Hmm, and Mr. Yeah. I yep. is, um, was a champion of the city, the downtown of Detroit. He's been a champion of it. When people were fleeing away and they were, gonna, they were into the plans to start building the new building, Mr. Illich was adamant that it had to stay downtown. And now the Pistons are going to move downtown into the building. Um, they, you know, he was instrumental in helping the Ford family decide on a location downtown for Ford Field for the line. Oh, was he? Okay. Comerica yeah. Park yeah. is downtown. Yep, across the street. You know, so they've they have poured millions and millions and millions of dollars into the into downtown Detroit at a time when the car companies all went bankrupt. Um, the advertising in center field was about a million dollars a year, and Mr. Illich told them. Um, we're going to cover this. Don't worry about it. Your ads are staying up in center field. Hmm. Like, yeah. who, who yeah. does that? Right, right. You know, there's lots of people that could. Yep. But who does it? And so the, the fans loved him because he gave their team a chance to win. His employees loved him because he gave them the latitude to do the job that they were supposed to do. He was married for 60 years. Um, I, I did learn one really cool story, though, since he's passed, that his wife, Marion when they were dating, felt that um, he looked a little bit like Julius Caesar. Okay. And so the, the caricature on the Little Caesars yeah. company yeah. is a cartoon character of Mike Illich. Oh, I didn't know that. Oh, okay, with the yeah, Little Caesars yeah. Cheezer, thing cheezer. around right, his head, whatever right. that thing is called. Yeah, the... And so that, became, that was the inspiration for it. Hmm. I didn't know that. Yeah, he'll be missed for sure, especially when you consider – how many owners like Charles, you know, James Dolan and, and, and these guys, these owners that are just out of hand, not out of hand, but just can't yeah, seem to are. get it right. They can't seem to get it right over and over and over well, and over. Well, one of, the, you know? one of the biggest problems ownership has is they manage most of their business with, with a cold and calculated eye. And sports are emotional. And because they like basketball or baseball or hockey, whatever they own, yep. they think that they know how to run it. Yet... They don't run their marketing department at their business. They don't run the production line at their business. Yeah. They have people that run it for them. But now when it gets into sports, because they love sports or they love that particular sport, they're telling the manager how to run the team. Well, hire him and let him do his job. And if he doesn't do his job, then fire him. That's your prerogative. But managers get stuck. They're managing up, which is ownership, Mm -hmm. and managing down, which is the team. And eventually, you get crushed in most cases between the two. <laughs> exactly. Uh, something that happened this week that didn't get a lot of acclaim. I mean, I read a small headline about it, but it's a little close to my heart because he coached in Winnipeg as a head coach and an assistant forever. Uh, Rick Bonus, um, he had the most games coached by an assistant or head coach in league history. Uh, now he's an assistant with Tampa. And this guy, Ray, he is a lifer. He First of all, he deserves whatever praise you can give him for co- head coaching the Ottawa Senators when they first came <laughs> into the league, um, and they were bad. But Rick Bonus, man, nice, cool story. Always seemed like Ray, and again, I don't know him. You know, always seemed like a really good guy. It's funny you'd pick that up. There is 
nobody that can say Rick Bonus is moody or mercurial okay. or yeah. up and down. He is a really, really nice man. He loves the game, obviously. He's been in it for so many years. Um, he's a really good communicator. He has been a head coach, as you mentioned. He's been mostly an assistant coach. He is always the positive voice on the staff. But it's one thing to be a positive rah-rah guy. Mm-hmm. He knows how to coach. He's a really good coach. He was uh, one of the finalists in Anaheim this year. Oh, was he really? Going oh, through I didn't know that. Their coaching search with um, that ended up with Randy Carlisle. Travis Green was there as well. So was Rick. Um, just a, an, you know, he was Elaine Vigneault's assistant for years in Vancouver. Mm-hmm. And the funny part was Vigneault was just a young guy, and he was Bonus's assistant in Ottawa. Oh, well, I didn't know that. Okay. So yeah, the yeah. first year, the tables turned. The first yeah. year that Ottawa won one road game, <laughs> um, it was their last road game of the year, um, and they were in New York. They beat us with the Islanders. <laughs> we had to win one of our last two games to get into the playoffs, and these guys came in and they beat us. Lori Boschman got a hat trick, <laughs> but I remember, and we had to win the next night in New Jersey, which we did okay. to get in, and then we went to the semifinals that right, year. Right. So, but what I remember about that game was, so by this time, those guys, they're just looking <laughs> yeah, for the offseason. Exactly. And so Vino was told this story that they were filling out the lineup, and Bonus always filled out the lineup. Well, I don't know what was going on, and Vino filled it out, and he wrote down somebody different on the starting lineup. So they started the wrong lineup. <laughs> Our coaches caught it, yep. and we scored on the power play like 40 seconds into the game. Like, they couldn't even get the lineup right, these <laughs> right, guys. Right. And that was in 1993. Yep. And all this time later, A.V. Avino is one of the game's top coaches, and Bonus has coached more games than anybody else. Like it's just it's yeah. remarkable that yeah. they came from that spot. Yeah, no, absolutely. I didn't know that about the AV being an assistant. Yeah, it uh, just seems like a good guy. Just like I said, what I've seen interviews with him and 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 like the assistant coach. Like there's a lot of grunt work to that. You know what I mean? It's not that glamorous. An assistant coach, you're you're you know, and he's just he's just in it, man. Uh, so props to him. Props to Rick Bonus for all that. Uh, all right, Paul Pocky podcast with Ray Ferraro here. Uh, Ray, we got to uh, we got to listen to this. Here. Wes McCauley. I love it. <laughs> um, that was something else, that call from Wes McCauley about fighting. Loved it. Yep. Steve, I watched that clip. I'm going to say I've watched it 15 times. <laughs> I don't know if I watched it that much. <laughs> oh, I show, my kids loved it. Yeah. Um, both my older guys and my younger guys. I'm, anybody that I see, I'm like, hey, have you seen this? <laughs> I think it is awesome. And so there's people that you know, tweeted me when I I tweeted out and said, you know, Wes McCauley's awesome. Yeah. And people are saying, oh, he's just being a showboat. Yes. Mm-hmm. And they said, oh, he's bringing attention to himself. Yes. Yep. And how did that change anything? Do you remember, um, I know, you know, some uh, listeners won't know this guy, but Red Cashin was a longtime NFL uh, referee. And he had this a southern accent, and he had a real flair when he'd call a first down. He'd, like, clap his hands together and point, and he'd go, first down. <laughs> I do not remember like, this, people no. People loved it. Yeah. People loved it. And now Ed Hockley's out there with his gun showing yep. all the time. and People love it. So what? As long as the call is right, is it? why would this be a problem? Yeah. Now, it's not like he did it in a fight. He didn't do it and go... Yeah, he didn't show up either know. team or anything, right? No, yep. not at all. That's what I don't get why anybody would would want or anybody would have a problem with this. Look, the league has gone to great lengths to make the officials anonymous. Mm-hmm. They took the names off their sweater, right? Yep. No use. No way knowing who these everybody, guys are. Everybody had to wear a helmet. They made helmets mandatory. Yep. Yep. You tall guy over there or you short guy over here, mm-hmm. it doesn't matter, right? Mm-hmm. They're all the same. And so... Wes had that goal call last year. Plus, he also had you know this fighting thing. I thought it was awesome, and not that I have any say, but I encourage him to continue on. And I hope I see him soon because I'm going to tell him that. <laughs> well, 
was the deal with with Wes McCauley going from head of officiating, an office job in New York, to back to being an official? No, no, no. That's you. You got that mixed up do with I? Stephen Walkham. Oh, yep. Stephen Walkham. Yeah, yep. that's right. I'm sorry. I do. So Walkham was Walkham was an official. They wanted to have a, a younger voice uh, as the head of the officials, so he came off the ice. Um, and was the supervisor, and then yep. found that he really missed it. And he was like, and the Screw league this. missed him on the ice too, <laughs> because he was a very good official. Yeah, weird. And weird uh, and then like then like a lot of guys, he probably went, you know what, this office job sucks, <laughs> and I've got a really exciting job elsewhere. So yeah. he was able to go back. Uh, all right, let's wrap this podcast up with some questions, Ray, on Twitter at Paul Pocky. You can always hit up Ray and uh, or hit me up because Ray Ray doesn't look if you don't fo- if he doesn't follow you, he's not going to see your question. This is Ray's new Twitter. Um, is that still sticking, right? Your new Twitter rules? Well, I I, I kind of go on and off. Oh, a little bit, here we go. Here we go. Uh, yeah, I, you know, I'm I, I can't quite I can't quite make the leap totally off it, but okay. What I've noticed is the um, because there'll be long stretches where I don't notice anything other than if mm-hmm. somebody follows me, um, I it's easier to ignore. Okay, uh, a couple questions that I liked. Uh, uh, this one from uh, GTL two twelve. If Ray could make changes to the upcoming CBA to improve the dynamic between players and owners, what would they be? Oh, well, um, first of all, you'll you'll never you'll never get a a CBA that makes them equal partners. One of the biggest comedies of all time was when they said we're going to be partners in this new CBA. Mm-hmm. The revenues are fifty fifty. That's fine, but they're not partners because owners have revenues that are outside of hockey-related revenues that they keep that players think they should have mm-hmm. um, have a part of. And the fact is, somebody's the boss and somebody's the employee. So that's that's you know that's got nothing yeah. to do with what I would change. But that's that's a, I think a really valid and important point to remember. The owners still are the bosses of the game. There is no game without the players, and we always felt that. But there's also no game without the owners. If right. somebody doesn't yeah. pay the freight, yeah. Yeah. there is no game. we got a bunch of guys playing on the pond. So if you're going to get traded, can you go to the owner and be like, hey, man, I thought we were partners. <laughs> we're partners. I thought I was staying. Yeah, move it along. <laughs> right. So yeah. I, I would say the – I mean, is there is – there, uh, Yeah, well, there, there, yeah. Steve, there is here. But what, what, what I was trying to phrase here is that um, it, if there is a way to pull back the mistrust – and the animosity, I think it can really help in the long run. The problem is there's a inherent or built-in mistrust when it comes to business uh, between owners and players, really in lots of different businesses, but since we're talking about yeah. this. So, for example, the, the one thing that, that was negotiated is a 50-50 split of hockey-related revenues. So the expansion fee that comes in, that goes to the owners. The players don't get a cut. not hockey-related, right? Yes. It's not hockey-related, although it's another team. Yeah, right. So, <laughs> right, so I, however that works. But so the, the thing that came out of that that sounded like a, a little sidebar, but it's turned into a monster, is escrow. Mm-hmm. The players hate it. And so the, the simplest way to explain it is if the owners and the players make $10 – and that means $5 to the players and $5 to the owners. If the hockey-related revenues that are calculated at the end of the year don't equal what you think it is, the players have to give back salary. This year, they're giving back 15% of their salary. So somebody making a million dollars is actually only making $850,000. And that, of and, course, and, really um, sticks to the players. It hasn't happened yet in this CBA where the players get it all back. It's never happened, right? Or am and I it wrong? won't happen. Okay. It will, I mean, because the CBA was negotiated when the dollar between Canada and the U.S. was different. Mm-hmm. Right? There's lots of factors yep. that go into it. So if there is a way or if there was a way to say, okay, look, you've already got the escrow. What else can we do here? What else can we do to kind of ease the bite of this? Because you can't change the mathematical formula. No. But that really is the only way I think that you could bring the sides to a little bit more compatible position. Are you, are you pretty pro-player? 
are you pretty like um, you know you were a union member? You played tons of games in yeah. the league. Are you are you hardcore player guy? Uh, not necessarily. Okay. No, I, I think I'm more of a realist. Yeah. Uh, my last players association meeting, uh, when they used to go around and talk team to team to team, um, I was playing with the thrashers and, um, I, you know, I was in my last year. So when the CBA was going to come up, which was a year and a half later or two years later, mm-hmm. of course, I was going to be out of the game and I didn't really care one way or the other anymore because it would have no impact on me. Right. And I said in the meeting, I think the owners are, like, we know the owners are going to come after us for a cap. We know that for sure. I think we should be developing an internal strategy of what's the best we could do under a cap. Now, it doesn't have to be public, and it can just be a working paper, but I don't think we should dig our heels in concrete here and say we'll never accept the cap. And... I was basically. You were laughed. Uh, you were told to be quiet. And well, I wasn't laughed at. They, they, I was just. I was basically disagreed with and said, you know, yep. that's not. You know, we won't give into a cap. I said, look, you can say what you want, but eventually they got more money than us, and <laughs> yeah. they're going to win. Yep. And not that I have any great business sense, but in the Atlanta Thrashers meeting, that's what happened. <laughs> and so eventually, what was uh, Jeff Audrey? What was Audrey? What was Audrey's well, point? Well, no, it, every guys were different, and some guys agree and some guys don't. But there wasn't any great discussion. The the leadership of the union, yep. um, who was there giving the discussion, they basically said, no, that's not going to happen. Well, in 2004, we got a cap, and we got it rammed down our throats. Mm-hmm. Now, I was broadcasting by that time, and the players ended up with a really unpalatable deal. But they had to take it. And now that's led us on this road where it's every year, every time there's a work stoppage, or every time the contract expires, there's a work stop. I know it's and sucks. I'm hoping like heck they can find a way not to do it. I I uh, I'm I'm not pro player guy. I didn't play in the NHL and everything else, but I I do find myself siding with the players more and more because when Bill Daly comes out with these crazy um, things about how you know teams are losing money and, and I just like stop it, stop it. Like like there's so, the, the, the I would be more on the NHL and the owner side if they weren't so insane in their press conferences and in their, 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 their directives about how terrible the league is going, and then they turn around and get this expansion money, and they turn around and get, you know, the, the team sell for, you know, 62% more than what they, the last sale was for. Well, but I, you know. but I will say this, in, in defense of the league, uh, I think there are, um, and, and I think it's probably fair, that there are some teams that make a great deal of money, there are some that do pretty well, and there are some that don't do very well at all. Mm-hmm. And Gary Bettman's job is to try and ensure that the league is healthy enough that all the teams survive. Right? So yeah. I, I, that, I understand that. Some of the things they say, I mean, it's, it's no different than what's coming out of the White House. Yeah. Everything's fine. Oh, wait a minute. Yeah. There goes Flynn. Yeah. You never talked to anybody and, oh, wait a minute, maybe he did. Maybe he did. <laughs> right. You know, like, I mean, that's a crazy extreme example, but no. it's, it's, you can't tell people that it's one way when they can see it's another. Yeah. And that's, that I would agree with you 100%, Steve, that that's where, that's where the league could do themselves yeah, like, a lot of favors just by be, not thinking that everybody else doesn't follow. Yeah, like, just be cool. Be, like, honest and open, and instead they just go militant one way, and you're like, stop it, stop it. I can see what's going on here, you know. Um, well, especially for both sides at the start of the negotiation. One says everything's left, one says everything's yeah. right. And you go, why waste time? Yeah, why not start it. closer right, to the middle? Right. Because now we're, you guys are going to gonna go for coffee and lunch for two months to get closer to where you should start from. Yeah. Um, you went through, so, okay, yeah, you missed the big one, but uh, three Work stoppages. There was ninety two. Uh, ninety one. Uh, yeah. Ninety one was the uh, like right before playoffs, the, right? Yeah, the yeah. ten day one where there's a whole bunch of money that's still held uh, from likeness of players, like on trading cards and yep. things, video games, and, and the cards, league yeah. collects a portion of that. But I, I'm not real sure why they still collect it. <laughs> so that's something that always is around the edges of the players association and 
that's something that will get discussed again uh, rather quietly, I believe, but that's something the players are interested in. But it went through 91. Uh, when was the next one? Uh, God, I don't even know. I missed that. Oh, uh, 95. Five, four, yeah, 94, 95. 94, rather, 94. Uh, it started in 94. It ended in 95 because the Devils uh, won the Cup in 95. We came out of the Rangers Stanley Cup. Yeah, and all, there was a lockout. There was a remember cover of SI Sports Illustrated. Uh, the NHL yeah. is taking over the NBA, right? Because the Rangers yep. won, and then yep, just nothing. Right, right out, right out <laughs> of the Rangers Stanley Cup championship, the league takes a lockout. Yep. Um, Way to take advantage of that. Yeah. Okay, a few more questions before we got to let you go. From Jared Harrison, do you think O-Dog, Jeff O'Neill on TSN, will actually complete the quote-unquote marathon? He has no chance to complete a marathon. Yep. What he's talking about is a 10K run. Yep. Um, I think he will complete it because he's stubborn. Okay. I think he will walk in the course of the 10K. And he will never do it again. That's my prediction. <laughs> okay. All right. I do, I do like how he said he – at first he said he was a marathon, then it kind of the truth came out. Everybody's like, wait, wait, it's not a marathon. <laughs> he ran down the hallway in a race yeah. at the studios, and that was about it for him. The hallway is <laughs> 30 yards. Um, from Adam Smith, who was the funniest guy on ice you played with or against? There's probably a ton of them, I'm sure, but is there a few that stand um, out? Well, uh, like Steve Thomas is is hilarious. He's got more lines than mm-hmm. th- than you can possibly imagine. Some you can say, some you can't. Um, oh God, that's uh, somebody that's told a me. Tough one. Somebody uh, said Paul they... Lawless. Oh, Law- Paul Lawless and Hartford. Oh was, wow, there's a under was hilarious, <laughs> unbelievable guy. He would say, say one time he got knocked knocked out or knocked a little goofy in the American League. He had been sent down, and somebody said to him, the trainer said, Lolly, do you, do you know where you are? He said, yeah, I'm in the effing American League. <laughs> <laughs> so they're like, okay, he's all right. Speaking of Thomas, I think o- O'Neal, Jeff O'Neill told this story, or somebody did that. He's short, right? He's 5'10", and uh, he's a lefty. And they, they someone said, don't mess with him. And Someone did mess with him, and Stumpy gave it to him. Like, oh, he was a lefty, and and he was tough. Oh no, that um, this was I was playing. Um, was that I was your playing, story? It's not okay. Stumpy. I was playing with Los Angeles, and we were there was a young kid trying to make his way, and uh, he was pestering Adam Deadmarsh, and so I know Adam from mm-hmm. from Trail where we grew up, and. He said, hey, man, tell, tell that guy to beat it. It's the first exhibition game. Yeah. Tell him to beat it. So I tell the guy between periods, I'm like, hey, look, leave Dead Marsh alone. He's just getting in shape. He doesn't want to fight. You know, he's, like, yeah. he's been in the league for yeah. however many years at this time. Just leave him alone. I said, but if you're going to fight him, he's left-handed. <laughs> and so when they fought, I mean, Adam hit him about 23 times with his left hand. <laughs> and so I go over and bring the gloves to the kid and, Dead Marsh is mad at me. He's like, I told you I didn't want to fight. I'm like, look at him. <laughs> look what I did. on his face. And, you know. Uh, last question for you here. Uh, who did Ray thought, or who did Ray think would be a star in the NHL but failed to be? Uh, why did he think they would, and why didn't they? Oh, man. Um, well, there's lots of guys that were really, really good in junior. Mm-hmm. Um, that for one way or another, just didn't didn't make it in the you know in the NHL. There yep. was a, a couple guys. The guys I know best are out west, and I'm going to give you two names. Uh, Dan Hodgson was a draft choice by the Leafs. Mm-hmm. Actually, both these guys are draft choice by the Leafs. Sorry, <laughs> Shock, Steve. Shocking. Um, so Dan Hodgson was a huge point producer. Yeah, uh, wasn't a great skater, but man, could he produce points. Played in Prince Albert in the Western League, and um, for some reason, he just didn't. He didn't make it. Like, he didn't really have a great career. At some point, he ended up uh, in Canucks, right? I think at some point. Yes, he yeah. did. Yep. Absolutely. And the other guy, probably no people haven't heard of him, uh, is a guy named Cam Plant. And uh, when I set the goals record in Brandon, Cam had over 100 assists that year. He was a big defenseman. He could really pass the puck. And he just was – He never. it never translated uh, hmm. to the NHL. He didn't have great foot speed, but lots of D didn't. 
at yeah. that time. Yeah. But man, he could pass. He could. He was a really, really smart player, and I always thought he would have a really good career. And it just, it never, where did, it never panned out for him. Where did he get drafted at? Do you remember? I want to say he was about a fourth rounder. Okay, all right. So decently high, decently high. Yeah, yeah. and and you know, as a nineteen-year-old, he had a hundred assists. Yeah, and so I always expected that he would he would make it, um, but but he just just mm-hmm. wasn't able to. Hmm. Yeah, that list is long, right? We could probably go for another thirty minutes. Oh, forever! Uh, yeah. You yeah. can go through for a multitude of yeah. multitude of reasons. You can go through any NHL draft for the last ten years. Look at the guys in the first round. Look at the way they played in mm-hmm. junior or in college, and go. Well, how did they miss? Yeah, yeah. And it could be one of a one of a hundred things. Injuries, rushed too soon, uh, didn't handle the wrong anything. situation. Yep. Like, yep. like who who knows, right? Yeah. Absolutely. All right, Ray. Well, thank you for doing the podcast. Thanks for the entertaining stories. Uh, Dead, Marsh, Dead Marsh one was great. Um, good luck, uh, or have fun, I guess. Not good luck is whatever. Have fun calling the Isles Leafs tonight. Go Leafs, go. Yeah, I'm not going to win. I'm yeah. not going to win. Yeah, exactly. So we'll, we'll do our best. We're looking forward to it. And uh, uh, So i got a busy week. I'm in uh, uh, in Ottawa or in New Jersey on Thursday for, for Ottawa. So, uh, these games are starting to mean more and more, so it's kind of cool. Yeah, absolutely, getting down to the wire. All right, thanks, Ray. Appreciate it. Later on, Steve. Thanks for listening, everyone. Bye.